The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Hello, everyone. This is Reverend Dr. Douglas Kringle, your host today for the Engaging Truth program. And we have as our guest, Sam Black, the author of the book, The Healing Church. Sam, so glad to have you here. Welcome in. It is an honor to be here, Doug. Thank you for having me. Actually, it's the second time we met. Wasn't yes. about a month ago, we were in Phoenix. It was a beautiful day. It's a gorgeous day in Houston here today. And I remember walking through all the different booths, and you were so kind as to donate a book to me, this book, The Healing Church. And yes, you have an advanced copy. I had no idea that this was in my future at all. So God is good. And it's such a pleasure to visit with you. Now, is the topic of helping the church deal with pornography really something we need to talk about? Right. Is Shouldn't we just be able to just ignore it? Uh, that's what we're pretty good at in, in general, I believe, uh, as, as Christians overall, as the churches overall. Sometimes it's very hard to talk about these things, isn't it? And that's why I wrote uh, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We need a little work. So with that said, let me read you something that's new in our denomination. And when I say ours, I'm a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And in that denomination, we have a study book called a catechism, a small catechism. Children 13, 14 use this book. 2010, our church body came out with the catechism. This information was in, in there. And then 2018, we had a new question asked. And I want to read the question and its answer and see if we need to do anything else than just have this question and answer. Wouldn't that be enough? Here it is. Question 75. What are some dangers or temptations that pornography poses today? This is under the section on the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. The answer, pornography is sin. It turns us away from God and from others because the internet has made pornography widely available. It has become an ensnaring addiction for many people. It is dangerous because, A, it turns us away from love for God and our neighbor towards sinful desires that are contrary to his will, stimulating fantasies about sexual infidelity and adultery. B, it treats others, usually women, as physical objects for selfish pleasure rather than as persons whom God has created to be his own and endowed with dignity and purpose, and C, it undermines desire for a healthy, loving sexual expression between a husband and wife in marriage and leads to unrealistic views and sinful expectations about sexuality. Pretty thorough answer. I mean, A, B, and C, isn't that enough? Yeah, right. Uh, I think it is. I, we're, we'll just wrap up and call it a day. Okay. <laughs> you surprised <laughs> me with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what the well, often we think about uh, a, a man or a woman in adulthood, and they uh, 
they are online and suddenly they are confronted unexpectedly with pornography. And then they have a, a choice to make. Do I make the choice to follow that commandment, to follow that correct and divine teaching, right? Or do I just choose what I want because I'm selfish and prideful and I want for, for me? Now, that is a, a, a true and realistic view in the sense is if that person has never been exposed before, never doesn't have any background really with pornography, and sometimes that choice seems like that's a pretty easy choice to make, right? God has given you blessings, and why would you choose curse over blessing, right? That sounds very logical, but unfortunately, people have who are struggling with pornography on a more intense level didn't that they don't know themselves why they struggle so intently and it has become a stronghold in their life and they want to make the right choice in fact they have promised god they have promised themselves they have likely promised a spouse or others in their life that they will never watch pornography again I'm done with it. I hate it. I don't want to go back to it. In fact, it makes me feel horrible about myself. I have shame that's not just, man, That's that was naughty. It is like self-hatred at my expense. Shame. Self-hatred at my expense. And so I have this self-loathing and, and despair over, Father God, I, I want to follow you. I want to do what's right in your eyes. And yet I keep coming back to the vomit that I said I would never return to. So why? How can that be? Why would that be? What you portrayed there was a person that's very hurting. In your book, you make it very clear with numerous research, quoting research statistics. Yes. That this depiction of a person that you just gave us is not a rare thing. Could you tell us a little bit more about how many people we find needing help here that need more than a catechetical answer? This is I'm going to I'm going to offer you some general perspective. Like we know about 70% of men in the church, about 30% of women in the church, so they have this sort of ongoing struggle. Now, is that a heightened struggle? They're looking at pornography, they say, at least monthly. Okay? So they're they're struggling with pornography in some form. Maybe they're, they go for a few months without looking at it. Maybe they're more so. So I think that's the person who's who's not viewing it on a, on a less than monthly basis is probably needs to remind themselves of the perspective that you just read, right? The, the the teaching the, the right instruction that you read um but we also know that these studies are self-report studies mm. and when we fail we'd like to just own up to all of it don't we <laughs> now we're we often minimize just how impactful it is so if we dive a little deeper we see that um men Specifically, I'm just going to look here at at um, 
had a note that I, I thought that I had marked in my book. Maybe I don't have it, but it looks more like a third of men uh, between certain ages, about 18 to their late 30s, are saying they're watching it multiple times a week. 20% are saying they're watching it daily. So if you look at out your church congregation and you're tap, look, doing your count, your number count, and you're just saying, okay, you are, you are, you are, you are, but you're not, you're not, you're not. Well, that's pretty impactful nonetheless, right? You'd, um, but I, so let's just say that a third of the men, and by the way, pornography doesn't have a demographic. So let's just say men overall, about a third of men in the church, they have a deep stronghold of, of pornography. Others are using it still. They have a stronghold of pornography, but maybe it's not as what I would call compulsive or addictive behavior. But so, uh, and about uh, a third of women say they're struggling with pornography, uh, especially as you go to younger ages, the number keeps going higher. But let's just say for argument's sake, just somewhere in the area of 15 to 20% of women are saying they're having an intense struggle with pornography, especially when you look at younger women. So what's going on there? Why would these people struggle so much? Then I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, did, I just wanted to note. So I was reading from a catechetical book that usually is in the hand of middle school students. And the statistics you just noted were more towards the adult side. But it is, uh, to my understanding from your book, uh, not too early to have a conversation in middle school. My understanding from the book was for young men, boys, age nine was the normal exposure. That's right. So, pornography, and then age 11 for, for girls. Is that correct? That is, uh, there's a number of studies that specifically from Jay Stringer. Uh, he has uh, uh, been in deeply, and he wrote a book called Unwanted. It's just a great resource. Um, and it is, uh, he, he did those surveys of, of, of across a number of different uh, things. But regardless of which survey you're looking at, it's somewhere between the ages of 8 and 11 is a common age that children overall are being exposed. But there is a lot of, that means just the average so it's also very common that you we are seeing five, six, seven, mm. eight years olds being exposed to pornography, and not just our boys, but also our girls, because it's natural for every child to be curious about what the opposite sex looks like naked, and that is very impactful. So if we're looking at our adult population and saying, "Hey, we've got some real struggles here," uh, with older statistics, mind you, because we haven't. Those haven't been updated so well in recent years. When we look at millennials and forward, they have never known a world without the internet. Mm -hmm. And they have been exposed to more inappropriate content and with so few restrictions than ever before in recorded history. And that early exposure, there's three aspects that I point out in the book where people really get stuck. And listen, I know there's some uh, some men and women who are listening to this. Some of them are fighting for themselves. 
Others are feeling like, in my marriage, I feel like I've been betrayed by pornography. And there's, so there's a lot of hurt surrounding this. So I, I, I want you to know that there's, I have a deep empathy for what we're, what you're, what our listeners are listening to. But I want to kind of explain that there's three aspects, three big keys and that help people get stuck. One is early exposure. The second is ongoing repetition. And the third is often some drama or trauma, especially early in life. So early exposure, we're seeing our kids being exposed at eight, nine, ten years old. Really? Five, six? And why that is that so impactful? Often children are seeing things in pornography, and we often think of just nudity, but they're seeing violent, explicit uh, sexual encounters, mostly video online today. And so our children are going from, I don't know anything about sex, to the very worst of the worst. And it's shocking. It's traumatic in itself. But it's also very impactful on the brain. And it lights up the brain with a number of neurochemicals that I talk about in the book. And it's very hard for a child to look away. I can remember that I was exposed to pornography at the age of 10. And uh, I didn't step away because I was naturally curious. But what I saw compared to what children see today is dramatically different. The second part of that is the repetition, because teenagers are often the most prolific users of pornography, depending on regardless of which study you look at. And so we've gone from early childhood exposure to now this repetition that's going on that helps build neural pathways in the brain that begin craving it more and more. And then finally, um, it's often the cement that pulls us all together in a compulsive or addictive nature is that trauma early in life. And that can be from uh, neglect. We often call it wax or lax. Wax being sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, all the things that you could think of that would be hurtful. And lax would be things like, well, I don't feel wanted. I'm sort of ignored in my household. Um, my parents care more about their work than they did about me. Or there's a number of other things that, that you can find, think of. And these three uh, elements come together and these uh, cement someone in their struggle with pornography. And it becomes very difficult for them to turn away because they've learned to use pornography to manage their emotions, their moods. It has become a consistent escape in their life. So I was noticing that there's basically three major sources of information in your book. The Bible is used as the inspired inerrant word of God, and that it is a source of authority. Yes. Neurology is referred to, and you have another book on this topic of neurology and pornography, if I understand. And then there's the family dynamics that you mentioned. Uh, before we got on the air, we had a phone call, and I thought this new term, neurobibliology, might be an appropriate term, some combination between the Bible and <laughs> <love> neuroscience. 
So neurobibliology would say, this is affecting my physical person if I were to be a user of pornography. And the earlier it begins, the more it's affecting your physical person, your synapses. You used a word in the book for a chemical called dopamine. Yes. And another word was mirror uh, synapses, if I remember, mirror neurons. Mirror neurons, yes. Could you speak a little more into the biblioneurology or neurobibliology, <laughs> whatever we want to that. go with that, uh, that? Because it is a physical change in a person that is the result from what can be an addiction. Correct? We are beautifully and wonderfully made, right? And and God's design is amazing. Uh, God designed all the neurochemistry that we talk about, the neurology that we talk about, is all beautifully designed by God. Pornography is not sex as God designed it. Pornography is a hijacking of what God created. So the very things that God designed to draw a husband and wife together, to become one flesh, to know each other and love each other, is simply being hijacked to pull people apart, to create more self-focus rather than giving. So when we think of things like dopamine, dopamine is released when we see something that is new, uh, when we experience something that's new. And dopamine is also released during, uh, during sex or during when we see pornography. For the sexual expression in marriage, well, there's endless possibilities and we're not just turned on visually or excited visually. We hear our voice. We have a touch. We have um, all the things that God designed for that, right? But with dopamine, uh, one of the beautiful things about dopamine is it focuses your attention, which is great in marriage. Like right? The rest of the world disappears and you're focused on your spouse, God's design. But dopamine can also focus, especially a child who's never seen pornography or an individual who's watching pornography, to see something they've never seen before for a child, and now they have like tunnel vision and they can't seem to turn away from it without being trained, which I talk about training your child in the book as well. The Bible, the neurons, the biology, and the family dynamics all come together in a web you mentioned this web in the book, like a spider builds a web, but they build a web in order to capture somebody. And similarly, these pornographic images are a web that capture people as well. I should have probably started with this question, but in the few minutes we have left, could you give us what is pornography? What's the definition? <laughs> For some people, pornography is some other people's apparently... Uh, recreation of some sort. So I, I actually cover this an entire chapter in the book. 
And uh, if you look at how Christians are using media compared to those who are not Christians in the United States using media, there's almost no difference. What, how much time we're spending in front of television or using the internet or things of that nature. This shows that in the past might have been considered more risque, more Christians are watching those. Uh, and I, I want to sit and advertise things that I don't want Christians to go watch and see, but you already know what they are without asking. If you see the sexualized media uh, on our Netflix and on our pay channels and all these other areas, even in just regular common television, how the world watches television and how Christians are watching television and, and engaging with the internet and media, there's often little distinction. So my my answer to that is it doesn't matter how much someone is clothed or unclothed. Does it matter what is said or not said? It does when you compare it to Jesus' perspective. And so the next time you're asking, well, it's not really that bad, just have Jesus sit down beside you and says, listen, if you, what causes you to lust? What causes you to forget my commandments that we just read at the beginning of this? We could sit here and have a long conversation. We're at pretty much the end of our time. This is the <laughs> book. It's a fantastic book. Really enjoyed reading it myself. We could talk more about the culture that needs to be formed. We we didn't get a chance to really get into that. I think we probably have a minute. Would you like to just take a 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and give us an idea? What What is culture? Well, look, before we do, since we only have 30 seconds left, let me say that you can download the uh, the introduction and the first chapter for free at thehealingchurch.com. Uh, thehealingchurch.com. And uh, again, download the introduction, the first chapter there, and I'll touch just briefly if we have time on culture. Culture is what we as a church make of it in the church. Are we a healing church or are we going to be a shaming, rejecting church? Do we Are we willing to accept people as they are, but not willing to leave them as they are? And so we we talk about in the, I talk about in the book about a a spectrum. On one side, it's okay you're accepted however you are. On the other side, it's not okay for Christians to have any problems. Mm-hmm. And we need to be somewhere more the center that says, "I love you, God loves you, His grace is sufficient for you." But now let's take a journey together so that we can renew our heart and minds. Well, that's a beautiful explanation. A safe place, safe people, a safe process all helps to make a safe culture. I believe here at ELM Radio, we would like to have a culture of prayer. So I'd like to conclude our time together with a word of prayer. Sam, thank you so much for the book, for your time here on Engaging Truth. It is a beautiful day outside. This is a dark topic. But God has given us in his grace, there is hope, and we can address even such difficult issues with the sweet word of God. Thank you for helping us do that, Sam. And let's have that word of prayer, we pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for Sam Black, for the Covenant Eye resources, for the Healing Church, 
and so many other resources. There's people out there who who are expert in this and want to help. We pray, Lord, that you would work through your Holy Spirit, that we might be able to live in a way that is certainly God-pleasing and sustaining and something that upholds the sixth commandment instead of breaking it. Help us to see how you want to do this for our welfare and for our good. Until that day, we join you in the marriage feast in heaven itself. Now we commend today's conversation to you in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Sam. And thank you all who are listening for joining us in Engaging Truth. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.